Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Magic in the Moon podcast. As always, I'm your host, David, and this week we are talking about tarot. So I did do a tarot episode, um, or rather a series of tarot episodes, actually, um, probably over a year ago now. And I want to redo it because for one thing, um, I'm fortunate enough to have had my audience grow quite considerably since then. So for those of you that maybe weren't around uh, for the first tarot episodes, I think it would be helpful to kind of reintroduce that. I also feel like my experience um, of having read tarot professionally for over a year now has improved my ability to teach what tarot is. I think that I can do this more now in a confident way um, and explain more information in a more clear and concise manner than I did previously. So um, if you haven't heard the tarot episodes from before, of course, you can go listen to them if you'd like. But if not, then this episode is going to pretty much cover all of that anyway, and a little bit more. So we're going to get into it. I'm going to try and do this justice in just 30 minutes, but obviously tarot is kind of a lot to talk about. So I'm going to try and be as clear and concise as I can. We'll also try to go uh, relatively quickly for the sake, of, uh, the sake of time. So for those that maybe don't know, um, tarot is not inherently a part of witchcraft. It is a method of divination, of course, but it originated as a playing card game. Um, and even those that use it as a divination tool are not necessarily practicing witchcraft uh, per se. So, of course, many people can and do choose to incorporate it, tarot into their witchcraft, um, such as myself, but um, that's not the standard, nor is it the end-all be-all. So that's just my disclaimer on that. Um, I also want to say that I have been a student of tarot for about three years, and I have read tarot professionally for about one year. So um, I like to think that I know more than just like a novice, uh, but at the same time, I know that I obviously have much more to learn. There are many people that likely know more than I do as well. So keep that all in mind as we go through this episode. I also want to say that there are different methods of reading tarot and that there are many different variations on what kinds of decks and things. So for the sake of clarity, in this episode, I'm going to be referring to the Rider-Waite-Smith deck of the tarot cards specifically. Um, that was kind of the first like wide-released standardized version of the tarot deck. Uh, it's the one I think is the most common. It's also the deck that I'm the most comfortable reading with. So just for the sake of that clarity, that's what I'll be referencing. Um, and again, there's different schools of thought related to tarot. I specifically have been taught the Kabbalistic tarot. So if there's something that um, maybe doesn't quite add up with what you've been taught or what you would use or how you read, that's fine too. This is just my take on this as with anything else I say on the show. So with all that out of the way, let's get right into it. So the tarot, of course, um, for those who don't know, consists of 78 cards that are divided into two kind of broad sections. So the first is the Minor Arcana, which consists of 56 cards that are divided equally into four suits of 14 cards each. There are 10 numbered cards, Ace through 10, and Ace is one. Um, there are four Court cards, which are Page, Knight, Queen, and King. Um, the Page might also be called the Jack sometimes, but that's pretty rare, I would say. And in each of the four tarot suits, um, they're usually swords, wands, cups, and uh, pentacles. So each of these suits, which I'll talk about in a moment, um, correspond to one of the four classical elements. 
but they also have to do with a particular sphere of the human experience and life. Um, and then there's also a tie-in to the witch's pyramid, which of course is not innate within tarot, but a lot of magical practitioners incorporate it. And I'll talk about that as well. Um, and the second, so that's the first kind of broad category. The second category is the major arcana. So there's the minor arcana, which is the four suits and the court cards and numbers. And then of course, there's the major arcana. And this is kind of what you think of when you think of tarot cards. Um, there's only 22 of them and they are kind of the cards that people think of when they think of tarot or when you see tarot represented in the media it's oftentimes the major arcana think about like the high priestess the devil that kind of stuff so the major arcana is the magician the high priestess the empress the emperor the hierophant the lovers the chariot strength the hermit the wheel of fortune justice the hanged man death temperance the devil, the tower, the star, the moon, the sun, judgment, the world, and the fool. Um, the magician and the world cards are numbered from 1 to 21, while the fool is either unnumbered or is number 0, so it's placed either at the beginning as 0 or sometimes at the end as 22. But there are 22 cards, uh, however you would like to do that. Okay, so like I said a moment ago, the uh, suits of the minor arcana correspond to the elements. Um, swords are air, wands are fire, cups are water, and pentacles are earth. And if you are incorporating the witch's pyramid, then air is to know, fire is to will, water is to dare, and earth is to be silent. And while that's not necessarily a standardized part of tarot, I think even if you're not incorporating witchcraft into it, the phrases associated with the witch's pyramid can be helpful in remembering the characteristics of each suit. Um, because air, representing swords, um, air does have to do with the intellect and the mind and how we think and process things. And it's communication and how we um, interact with each other and how we handle conflict. So those are going to be the themes that come up with the swords cards. The wands being fire and to will has to do with action, how we behave, the things that we do, the consequences that come about from our decisions. So if air is thinking, then, excuse me, if swords is thinking, then wands is doing. Cups and water to dare, it has to do with um, emotions, you know, love and affection, heartbreak, healing. Um, it's the mind as well, but not in the same way that the air and swords are the mind, but more so because swords are intellectual. They're kind of removed. They're kind of aloof. It's thinking and analyzing and think like formulas and numbers and judgment. But cups and water is sensitive and it's emotional and it's feeling and it's sensuous and um, that kind of aspect of it. Swords are the rational mind and cups are the emotional reactive mind. Pentacles um, corresponding to earth and to be silent has to do with physical things like substance, uh, things of substance, material things. So think like physical objects, possessions, your job, your career, your education, your physical body, your health, um, how you obtain items, how you spend money, how you give gifts or receive gifts. So all of that are going to be the themes of pentacles. Okay, so we're going to start with the major arcana. 
And then we will do that in order. And I'm going to start with the magician as number zero and then go through the world at 21. And then we'll move on from there. So the fool at number zero is the beginning of the journey. The fool is a clean slate. It, you can kind of think of it as being like a newborn baby. Um, it's raptured by everything around it. It's in awe. The fool is amazed and just in wonderment at everything it sees. It's absorbing information. It's taking thing in. But also the fool is going to be susceptible to deception. It's going to be kind of gullible and naive. Um, so it's the best and worst parts of being completely new to something. Next, number one is the Magician. And if you look at the Magician card in the Rider Waite Smith deck, it's um, a person wearing a white robe with kind of a red overcoat. The symbol of infinity is over their head. They're holding a wand in their hand. And on a table in front of them is a sword, a wand, a cup, and a pentacle. So this is representing mastery of the elements because this is a powerful card. So the infinity symbol, of course, represents the universe and the macrocosm. And then the four representations of the elements being on the table in front of him represents the microcosm and common thinking in witchcraft and in kind of magical thinking in general is as above, so below. So if you master the microcosm, then you will master the macrocosm as well because what is above is as is below. So if you've mastered one, you've mastered the other. Practically speaking, if the magician comes up in a reading, it's going to have to do with self-control, um, reacting, uh, responding, excuse me, responding rather than reacting. It's being in control, having self-discipline, being regimented, knowing yourself well, being in charge, being powerful. Next is number two, the high priestess. And if you look at the high priestess card, it's a woman seated with um, a moon on her crown. She's dressed in blue between the two pillars. Um, one's black, one is white. Behind her is a tapestry of pomegranates and her gown at the bottom flows into water and has a crescent moon on it. So this is a symbol. Um, if you're kind of following a Wiccan level of thinking or a Wiccan based thinking, um, she represents the goddess. There are three cards in the tarot that represent the goddess. There are three that represent the god. The high priestess is one of the goddess cards. So the pomegranates are a symbol of the goddess. Um, they're particularly linked to the Eleusinian mysteries in Greece, having to do with Demeter and Persephone. Um, the moon, of course, is her symbol as well, as is the water. And she's holding a book, and the book is knowledge, and the book is power. And she's between the pillars of life and death, and she's the mystery of the things in between. So if you see the High Priestess card in a reading, it's going to have to do with your intuition and your psychic abilities, your extrasensory perception, um, it's probably telling you that you need to go with your gut about something. And also, quick little disclaimer here. These interpretations are going to be quick. So obviously, the cards can have more meanings than what I say here, just because I don't have the time to elaborate on each card specifically. Um, and also, again, everyone does tarot a little bit different. So if you were taught something different or read a card a different way than what I explained, that's totally fine. Next is number three, the Empress. This is the second goddess card in the deck. And if you look at the card, she is seated on a chair in a field surrounded by trees and grain. She's holding a scepter in her hand and she is uh, pregnant. She represents fertility and abundance. Um, this can be literal in the sense of like an actual pregnancy, but it can also be symbolic of like, what are you birthing into your life? What are you growing into your life right now? So an Empress card in a reading is probably telling you that something is growing in you, it's probably going to have you consider what that is for your life um, at that moment in time. 
Next is number four, the Emperor, and this is the first God card in the deck. The Emperor is an older man with a white beard. He's seated on a gray throne holding a scepter, which looks kind of like an ankh. He has a crown and a red robe. So this represents his authority, and the Emperor card represents like a masculine energy. It's, of course, the, the masculine counterpart to the, go- the Empress card, the Goddess card. Um, and you can think of the Emperor, when it comes up in a reading, as being decisive, stern. Um, the best qualities of it are going to be healthily in a responsible way, knowing your limits, regimenting yourself, taking care of yourself, knowing how to say no, setting healthy boundaries. And of course, the negative aspects could be that you're holding yourself back too much, that you're too limiting or too controlling. Next, number five, is the Hierophant. And the Hierophant is... Um, this figure in a red robe with kind of white accents on it, holding a golden scepter with a pretty elaborate headdress on. And there are two people facing him. So therefore away from us looking at him and he's on a stage between two pillars uh, with two keys crossed. These are the keys of mystery, the keys of learning. Obviously the parallels here with the two pillars represent the high priestess card as well. And the Hierophant is a teacher. So if the Hierophant comes up for you, it's going to have to do with either you need to seek out something to teach you uh, or someone to teach you rather. Um, and oftentimes this is telling you that like there's a particular area in your life where you've gone as far as you can go on your own and you need now the guidance of someone else to continue. Um, and it might also mean, depending on the context, of course, maybe you have something that you can teach someone else that needs your help. Next is number six, the lovers. This card shows the Archangel Raphael uh, behind like a glowing sun. And he is in front of two nude figures, one female on the left and one male on the right that likely represent Adam and Eve, because again, this is based heavily on the Kabbalah. Um, And Raphael is the angel of healing. So contrary to what a lot of people think, they think the lovers is a card about romance and relationships when actually this is about healing and divine protection. So if you see the lover's card come up, this is referring to you being protected from something or you needing a protection from something. So um, keep that in mind. And I will talk about the tarot and incorporating it into spellcasting in a separate episode because that's just too much to get into for one episode. But um, just know the short version of that is if you want to incorporate the lover's card as a protection spell, you can. You can keep it as a ward, things like that. Number seven is the chariot. The chariot card has a man kind of in like a traveling like caravan thing. He and his like cart has a canopy of blue stars over his head. He's wearing armor and there are two crescent moons, one on each shoulder. And he holds a blue scepter and pulling his little chariot are two sphinxes. One is black with white stripes and one is black with uh, white with black stripes. So again, we see the symbolism of the goddess with the blue and with the crescent moon. Um, and the chariot represents change. So if you pull a chariot card in the reading, it has to do with change. Um, positive change, negative change. It can be either, it can be both. But just know that generally it means change. Next is number eight, strength. And the strength card shows a woman in a white dress with the infinity symbol over her head, which if you remember, is also present in the magician. And she is holding open the mouth of a lion. So the strength card, if you pull it, has to do with perseverance, um, enduring hardship, being resilient, um, 
it can sometimes mean stubbornness or resistance to change, but of course, the meanings differ based on the context of the reading. Next is number nine, the hermit. The hermit is an older man with a white beard. He's cloaked, uh, kind of bent over looking at the ground. He's a long golden staff and he's holding a lamp um, that's glowing gold as well. So the hermit card represents isolation, but it's a healthy isolation. It's not like withdrawing in yourself to hide away from your problems, but it's understanding that sometimes the answer you need is inside yourself. And the lamp he's holding in his hand that's lighting his path is the light that's already inside him. So the hermit, when you pull a, uh, when you pull the hermit card in a reading, the hermit is telling you to look within yourself and realize that you already have everything that you need. Okay. Next is number 10, the Wheel of Fortune. The Wheel of Fortune card has a disc in the center with the Hebrew word for name of God on it. And it's kind of surrounded by like an airy sky-like atmosphere. And there are sphinxes and cattle with wings. There's a phoenix and an angel and then a sphinx that we saw um, in the chariot card here as well. And this is showing change, but a positive change. It's showing you divine guidance on your path, represented by the mystical creatures and, of course, the name of God. Um and this is showing you that there's a change coming, but that it's meant to be It's showing you to let go of things that you can't control. And it's showing you that like you're on the right track. Next is number 11, Justice. And on the Justice card, we see a man seated in a throne with a red tapestry behind him. He's holding a sword upright in his hand. He's wearing a red robe. He has a golden crown. And in his other hand, from opposite from the sword, he's holding the scales of Justice. So Justice represents... Justice. This is one of the more self-explanatory cards. It speaks to things being set right, um, give and take, kind of what goes around comes around, and it's just saying that like actions have consequences, both good and bad, and this is just saying that like basically that things are as they should be, that what has been done has been done, and that the appropriate reaction to those things have happened, basically. Number... 12 the hanged man the hanged man is the second card in the deck that represents the divine masculine and if you look at the hanged man uh there's a tree and we're seeing a man hanging upside down he has red pants um a blue top and there's a glowing like sun disc behind his head and the hanged man represents sacrifice um it's showing you that to move forward to get the things that you desire it's going to require letting go of something that you already have so this card in a reading is going to encourage you to release things that no longer serve you so that you can continue to move forward on the path that you were meant to be on. Number 13 is death. So the death card shows a knight in armor sitting on a white horse. In front of him is um, kind of a kingly figure, or maybe a priest in golden clothes with a crown or a hat, as well as a woman in a white dress, which resembles the same woman that was on the strength card. And it shows a child dressed in blue and then a dead body beneath the horse. And then the knight on the horse holding a black flag as well. So the death card is not quite as scary as people think it is. Like, can it sometimes mean literal death? Sure. But again, context is key with tarot. So the death card, as shown in the imagery of the horse stepping over the dead body, is actually showing you that it's time to move on from something. It's showing you that a time of your life or a season of your life or a situation that you were in for a while has come to an end and that it's time to move on to the next thing. So when you pull the death card, think about what are you moving on from? What chapter has ended? Next, number 14 is temperance. Temperance shows an angel 
um, with a glowing kind of halo and it's holding two cups. It's pouring water out of one cup into the other one and it's standing over a river and it's dressed in white. So temperance means balance. It means moderation. So if you pull the temperance card, it's encouraging you to take into account the balance of your life. What's the give and take? What needs to be compromised on? What uh, think about maybe the things that you have too much of and maybe things that you don't have enough of. So think about those things. Next, number 15 is the devil. The devil actually parallels the image of the lover's card quite a lot. Um, there's the winged figure with the two nude people, one man, one woman. But in this card, the devil, uh, which resembles very much the imagery of Baphomet, is standing over a nude man, nude woman, and the nude people are chained to this block the devil is kind of perched on. Um, so the devil card is encouraging you to look at what's binding you. What bad habits do you have? What negative cycles or bad decisions do you feel like have repeated themselves in your life? And it's going to encourage you to analyze those things. So that you can break through them and move on and be free. So it's not a scary card, but it can be challenging to confront things that are not healthy in order to make change. Next, number 16, is the tower. The tower shows, of course, a tower with two people that have kind of left out of it. And the tower itself is being struck by lightning. It's burning down. So the tower means change, but not in the same way that the chariot or the wheel of fortune mean change. The tower means a sudden, drastic, very, very intense change. Um, I won't say that it's always an unpleasant change, but I would say very often it can be very difficult. Um, it's kind of an extreme version of the death card. The death card means something doesn't serve you anymore, and then it's come to the end of something. But the tower is like speeding that up, like something is being destroyed and torn down. So that something good, something new can be rebuilt in its place. Next is number 17, the star. The star shows, um, sorry, I was counting, <laughs> a seven-pointed star in the center of the card on a blue background, surrounded by seven smaller white stars. And there's a nude woman who is uh, getting water from a pond. The star is about optimism. It's about hope. It's seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. Maybe that negative situation that you're in is not over yet, but this is this card represents the hope that it will end, that the sun does rise again, that the night has an end, that good things will happen again, even if it's not happening right now. Number 18 is the moon. The moon shows a glowing crescent moon with a face in the center. And again, we see the two, the two pillars um, over the shadow of like two dogs, and then the dogs are in front of a river with like a lobster. Um, and a lobster represents cancer, like the crab. So this card does correspond to the zodiac sign of cancer. All of the cards actually have zodiac associations, but I haven't really brought those up because of time. Um, but the moon card represents the night and the challenges of the night about being lost, about not seeing things clearly because of the lack of the sun. Um, it has to do with the dreams, the unconscious world, sub like subconscious psychic messages, but also it can kind of mean confusion and not knowing what to do next. Next is number 19, the sun. The sun shows um, a glowing sun, of course, with the face. And there's a child on a white horse holding a red flag. And they're surrounded by sunflowers. The sun is about hope and optimism. And like the time of the star and the moon have ended. It's daytime now. The hope is here. Optimism. You're happy. Uh, this card can also speak to like good health and encouragement. And that just like you're doing well, things are well. Number 20 is the judgment. And we see the Archangel Raphael once again with its red wings. And the angel is blowing a horn, a uh, trumpet rather. And there are people below it kind of looking up heavenward. And this um, is showing 
judgment, its consequences, its um, the setting right of things that have been set wrong, basically. It's so think about like if there's been like an injustice that's done to you, uh, someone treated you wrong, just know that like that balance will be corrected, things will be set right again, even if you don't necessarily know how or if you're not aware of it. And it's also a reminder that if you have wronged someone else uh, intentionally or otherwise, this is encouraging you to make amends and make that situation right because the universe will correct itself. Number 21 and the last major arcana card is the world. The world shows a woman wrapped in a, uh, I guess a shawl or like a ribbon of some sort. And it's surrounded by the world serpent that bites its own tail. And in each quarter uh, of the card, there is a man's face, the face of an eagle, the face of a lion, the face of an ox. And she's holding a wand in each hand. And the world is the end of the cycle. So the fool is the beginning. The world is at the very end. So this means you've completed the cycle. You've completed the journey. You've moved on to the good and the bad. You've healed. You've integrated all the experiences that you were meant to integrate. And now you can give what you've received to others around you and be a force for good. So if the world card comes up for you in a reading just think about the things that you have how fortunate how blessed you are and think about how you can now give back uh to others okay um i'm probably not gonna have time to talk about the minor arcana because we only have five minutes left in the video that took a little bit longer than i want to so um i will post a part two specifically about the minor arcana next week I'm sorry that the time cut us a little bit short, but I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope it was an insightful introduction to tarot. If you're new to it, and if you're not so new, I hope you enjoyed uh, my take on things, and maybe it was a nice refresher for you. Hope you guys liked it, and I will see you all next week.